Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. I'm just adding another playmaker uh, that the defense will have to worry about. Like I said, creating those mismatches out the backfield, aligning up our wide, uh, getting those coverage indicators, you know, whether it's man or zone. Um, just being another playmaker, another weapon. Uh, when you have most of the guys to cover on the field, it, it stretches the defense real thin. So you got a guy like Darren Waller, who's obviously a, a, a red zone threat, uh, Henry Ruggs, um, Hunter Winfro, uh, just, you know, B. Edwards, like, just, we have a, a lot of guys, especially everybody in this room, that can create mismatches and come out the backfield. It just, it's almost like a, a you know, pick your poison type of situation. So hopefully we can just execute and, uh, you know, let the chips fall where they may in terms of the playmakers making plays when they need to. That is Raiders running back Kenyon Drake uh, talking about uh, his ability to be one of the featured weapons, one of the weapons uh, in the red zone this year uh, for the Raiders. I think, you know, Kenyon Drake represents a, a player that's going to be a big part of this offense, regardless of where the Raiders are uh, situated on the field. Uh, but I think so much of what they did this year, the Raiders, um, especially with some of the offensive players that they brought in, um, was specifically to improve in areas where they were deficient. Last year in the red zone, the Raiders were 23rd in the NFL in scoring touchdown percentage at 54 uh, point two. They need to get that better as Foster Moreau. And by the way, thanks so much again to Foster Moreau. I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully you guys got a chance to hear that. If not, check it out on the pod uh, version uh, when we when we post it later on tonight. Brought some really uh, insight, great insight uh, into the state of the Raiders, the red zone, his situation uh, with, the, with the, the health of the knee, uh, getting back on track, all of that. Really appreciate um, uh, Foster stopping by. But you know, and even in watching today in, in OTAs, and we're going to get to Evan Grote, uh, our guest, in just one second. Uh, but watching what they were doing, we, we mentioned with Foster, the 23 personnel at the goal line, in goal line situations, three tight ends, two running backs. It was big boy football. Uh, and I know we were joking about who they were, you know, running against. It's OTAs. You're not going to get, you know, the first team defense out there, at least in that portion uh, of, of practice. Uh, but seeing what they were doing, how they were lined up, running back, fullback, three tight ends, and just doing all kinds of different things uh, out of that personnel grouping, throwing it to Foster Moreau, running it, uh, throwing it to Darren Waller, et cetera, et cetera. You can tell that there is an intent to get that thing figured out in the red zone and get better in the red zone. If they can score a few more touchdowns uh, in that situation, the, this offense is going to be even better than it was last year. And it was really good. Uh, so um, listening to Kenyon and Foster talk about it and the focal point that that red zone situation uh, has become, it almost stands to reason that the Raiders are going to get that figured out a little bit better than the, this year than they did last year. Uh, but without further ado, we want to go back out to the Raider Nation guest line and talk to our good friend, uh, Evan Grote uh, from Just Pod Baby. Evan, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Vinny, great great interview there with uh, Foster Morrow. No pressure on me. I'll try to do my best to, to follow that one up. But great job there with, with the Foster. Really, really enjoyed it. I appreciate that. And sometimes you just got to get out of the way, uh, you know, uh, because uh, he obviously brings great insight and um, 
you know, it's not just the uh, the cookie cutter kind of answers. Um, he gets in depth, and we and we like that. And you know, he had a lot to say. Um, you know, whether it was the Twitter warriors out there that you try to tune out, but it's impossible. You're going to hear him um, to his health and and you know what he was talking about in the red zone. That's where I want to uh, kind of start this thing off with. Um, you know, talking to Foster about what they were doing at practice today with that 23 personnel grouping and the Raiders, you know, they, they, they definitely uh, do their share of, um, you know, using multiple tight ends, but it was just really interesting to me because it wasn't just the three tight ends. You can have 13 personnel and, you know, this was 23 personnel. This is a fullback running back, three tight ends, uh, put the hard hat on. Uh, we're coming after you one way or another, and we could do a whole bunch of things uh, out of it. They were throwing to the fullback. They were handing it off to the fullback. They were handing off the running back. They were throwing it to the running back, and they were throwing it to all three of those tight ends. Uh, so there was a lot that was going on in a very big, powerful type of personnel uh, grouping. When you hear that, what do you think? Well, there's, there's no doubt about it. One of the areas uh, that this this offense needs to improve is, is in the red zone scoring. And I'm not just talking about getting points. I'm talking about scoring touchdowns and not just selling for field goals. The Raiders ranked 23rd last year um, in, in red zone scoring when it talked, in terms of scoring touchdowns. That's uh, with, with a, at a clip of 54%. Now, I'd like to see that number get somewhere into the 65% range. That would have ranked them um, inside the top 10 uh, in 2020. Um, because for all, all the bashing that you know, the defense receives, and, and deservedly so. Uh, they were bad last year. If the offense can just convert a few more times in the red zone and not have to settle for field goals as, as many times as they did last year, uh, we may not be sitting here talking about, um, you know, as we have in the past, talking about how the defense, you know, has blown leads late in the game. You know, take, take it out of the defensive hands, and, and, and one way to do that is, is by getting the offense to convert on a higher percentage in the red zone. Now, uh, speaking to your point about, you know, lining it up uh, with your hard hat, you know, fullback, running back, three tight ends, you know, we know this is what Gruden likes to do. He likes to, he likes to play a uh, bully style uh, of football. Um, you know, that's why they go out and they, and they draft a uh, tackle like Alex Leatherwood, who is a, a big physical guy to go along with Richie Incognito and, and Colton Miller and some of the other guys that they have along that offensive line. So, you know, this is, this is, this is what we know about Gruden. He wants to be physical. And an, another reason why you see them bring in another running back like a Kenyon Drake. So uh, we're going to see a lot of physical style of play this year, and hopefully it pays dividends inside the red zone this year. Yeah, and I think what was, what was really interesting to me was, um, you know, there's no doubt that uh, that's going to be a physical brand of football, um, you know, just by the sheer size uh, and intent of that kind of personnel grouping. However, they were doing a whole bunch of creative things out of it. And I think that's the thing. And that's just out of 23. There's going to be all kinds of different personnel groups that they use down uh, in that area of the field. But out of 23, and like I said, lost count on, you know, how many guys they handed it to and, and threw it to um, out of that setting. And I think that, you know, if you can, if the Raiders can master the physical side of that, and let's remember they didn't have Trent Brown for the vast majority of the year. They didn't have uh, Richie Incognito for the vast majority of the year. Both of those guys played six games combined. Um, and that, that's not insignificant. And then also with the fullback, Alec Ingold, getting hurt the way he got hurt 
against the Chargers uh, in Los Angeles, and he was never the same with two broken ribs playing with two broken ribs uh, the rest of the way. Those things don't heal overnight. It takes a long time. Um, that took a big bite out of the physicality that they were able to, to play with. So there were some extenuating circumstances um, in those you know nose-to-nose type situations that some better health is going to also help uh, with. Yeah, no doubt about it. The, the health of the offensive line and maybe even the running back, Josh Jacobs, down down you know towards the the second half of the season had a had a big factor into you know some of the struggles that the offense had scoring points in the red zone. And I'm glad to hear you say that you were seeing some creativity uh, today out there at practice because that has been one of my critiques of Gruden uh, as a play caller, particularly inside that that 20 yard line. Is I, I feel like he he kind of uh, lacks creativity that I'd like to see that I see from some of the other uh, play callers around the league. So, um, you know, I'd like to see him utilize Henry Ruggs more so in the red zone. I, I remember talking many times last year on my podcast about, you know, why not get a package for Marcus Mariota inside the red zone? You've got a mobile quarterback uh, who could just kind of give you a different look. Those are some things that I would like to see um, in the red zone. And, and again, utilize all the weapons that you have. You have a Kenyon Drake now. You've got a healthy Foster Moreau. You've got a big body receiver like uh, Brian Edwards to go along with some, some great weapons who have already shown that they can get it done in the red zone like Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. So, um, you know, I, I, I like what I'm hearing coming out of camp, um, for, you know, what they're doing, but um, it's, it's all going to fall on, on the shoulders of, of John Gruden. Can he be creative and can they execute once they get inside the red zone? And, and I'm going to reiterate, can you stay healthy? Because as the Chiefs showed in the Super Bowl, I don't care how creative you are as a play caller. If you can't block it, it ain't going to work. It never has. It never will. And, um, yeah, you can, you can do some things to work around it. Uh, but, but if you're not healthy, and the Raiders weren't, unfortunately. When you were just naming all those players, in my head I was thinking, when did, did we ever see any of those guys on the field at the same time l- last year? And I, 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 I can't think of a time where it was between the offensive line, between Brian Edwards sometimes be, you know, being you know, injured the way he was and, and Henry Ruggs uh, you know, uh, being hurt at times. It just was this whole combination of, of things um, that conspired against them to get their best players on the field at the same time. I think it was maybe four players, four plays all year where that was the case, and that played a role into it. But yeah, I, I, I'm f- w- fully healthy, um, obviously, and I, I completely agree with you. Uh, the creativity has to then be able to come out because if you can block it, then you know the the, the book should be wide open uh, and thick, and it usually is uh, with John Gruden. As Foster said, there were some new plays that were put in today uh, that he's uh, pretty stoked about. So so we'll see. Um, uh, when we're talking to Evan Grote, our good friend from uh, Just Pod Baby, uh, kind enough to uh, spend some time with us today in the huddle. Uh, Evan, I, I reported earlier that um, based on people that I've talked to, it looks like in terms of the vaccine, um, the Raiders are, I mean, at least the assessment from who I talked to, uh, was they have to be among the best, the, 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 in the best situation uh, in the NFL in terms of the, the uh, number of players that have been vaccinated because it looks like all their coaches uh, have been vaccinated. Uh, I know it's you know something that might not be on everybody's radar, but it's an extremely important uh, part of the equation as we move ahead 
through mini camp to training camp in the regular season. Uh, I think that the teams that are aligned on that and connected on that and put out the best numbers as far as that goes uh, are going to have a little bit of an advantage of teams that are struggling to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard you talking about that, and you know, I, I, I think that's great. I, I think uh, you know, my, my, you know, without getting too much, like as you mentioned, it can be a very political issue, and I don't really want to get into all that. But I, you know, as long as everyone has a choice, that I think that's a great thing. Everyone should be able to do what's best for them personally. But as a fan, I'm very happy to hear that that players are vaccinated because we saw we saw uh, what happened to this team last year having to be in COVID protocol so many times. And, you know, I'm not quite sure what the, what the uh, rules will be like in terms of uh, protocols this year and whatnot, but uh, it hampered this team big time last year with all the, the players who were uh, not, not available, not available to practice, not available to play. So the fact that um, hopefully all the players who are vaccinated will be safe from the virus that that's a good sign people will be out there hopefully as long as they can remain healthy as far as other injuries are concerned so yeah that that's a good that's a good thing to hear Vinny. yeah uh somebody just uh by the way i don't know if it was what we were talking about uh just just a second ago about uh, the creativity but somebody tweeted this to me that uh I, I don't know i think this might have been espn but they ranked john gruden as the fourth ranked uh play caller and um yeah. And, yep. and what they said was the Raiders had the 17th ranked pass blocking unit, the 26th ranked run blocking unit, um, and 18th ranked running game uh, per pro football focus, yet they had the 10th most points uh, in the NFL. And I, I kind of think that's kind of what I, I mean, I didn't I didn't drill it down uh, to that level. Uh, but but that's kind of what I've been thinking, like. You know, um, there were a lot of issues that the that the Raiders were dealing with last year. Yet they scored a whole bunch of points. Um, I think if they could get the health part of it squared away, and some guys obviously need to take uh, steps forward. Um, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Foster Moreau needs to be healthy. I think there's a chance for this offense uh, to be pretty darn good. But you know, we'll see. Uh, Evan, I thought something interesting today. Um, happened in, in talking to uh, Casey Hayward, the veteran cornerback that the Raiders signed, and I think there was an assumption that that you know Casey could play either outside uh, or inside. He has some slot cornerback uh, in his in his past uh, with the Green Bay Packers earlier in his career, and I think a lot of us just kind of assumed like, well, you know. Um, there's a chance that he could be that slot cornerback. Uh, LaMarcus Jordan is no longer around. The Raiders have an opening uh, at that position. But it sure sounded like, and let me preface this by saying, Casey Hayward, no doubt about it, um, said, hey, whatever the team needs me to do, I'll do. But if you read between the lines, and it really wasn't, didn't take that much reading between the lines, and, and, and looked at him as he was saying it, it sure sounded like he preferred to stay on the outside and not move uh, inside. What'd you make of that uh, from Casey Hayward today? Yeah, yeah, I, I did hear the press conference, and I, I agree with you. That sounds like a guy who definitely uh, prefers to be playing on the outside and doesn't have a whole lot of interest in, in playing in the slot. And and I, I really thought that was the biggest takeaway from all the press conference today was was was, was, was what he had to say. And I, and I thought it was interesting news, really, not really surprising, but interesting because. You know, we kind of have a better idea now uh, of what the secondary may look like going into training camp. Um, you know, one of the potential camp battles that I was looking forward to was what's one of the corner jobs opposite of Trayvon Moore. I thought it was going to be, you know, Hayward and Arnett battling it out, but it sounds like uh, Hayward has the, the leg up at this point. And, you know, it makes sense when you look at it from 
not only the success that he's had in the league playing on the outside, but but, um, maybe even more importantly is his experience that he has under Gus Bradley in this system and and the veteran leadership that he brings uh, to a a young secondary. Now, the next thing that immediately came to mind for me, and I heard you talking about it just a little bit earlier, is what does this all mean for for Damon Arnett, the former first-round pick from a year ago? You know, is he going to... I have to compete for the job in the slot now with Nevin Lawson or Meek Robertson or maybe even uh, Nate Hobbs, you know. And, and, you know, as a fan, I I have to admit, it's a little disappointing um, that the organization, you know, they go out and and, and do the first-round pick on Arnett, a pick that some saw as a reach at 19 overall. And in year two, they're they're moving him inside. um, and, And, you know, that pick, as I said, was criticized by some, and it certainly is not going to help the, the skeptics keep them quiet because, you know, you just don't generally see teams use a 19th overall pick on a cornerback to, to then move them to the slot. It's just, it's just not what we normally see from teams. Um, and one other thing that I, concerns me a bit about Arnett is, you know, he was a little bit older than, than most seniors uh, when he came out last year. He's turning 25 in September, so... You know, he's entering his second year. He's going to be 25. He doesn't have the luxury of some of the other players that were drafted last year of having, um, you know, being younger and, and having as much time to develop. And so it's not a huge factor, but it is something that, um, you know, I, I think we should keep in mind. But I would definitely say it's a small setback for Arnett. But, but credit to the organization for saying, hey, maybe this guy needs a little bit more time to develop than we previously thought. And in the meantime, you know, we have an opportunity to bring in a guy like Casey Hayward who can help us now and maybe be that bridge guy. He can help mentor the young secondary while, while, while Arnett continues to develop. And, and who knows, maybe down the road, Arnett, if he builds some confidence, shows that he can you know, be a player in the league, could, they could possibly always move him back to the outside as well. But those were some of my initial thoughts when I heard Casey Hayward today. Yeah, and I think we have to, it's important to preface this um, by saying he never did, Casey, indicate whether he was taking the starter snaps. That's one thing that we haven't been able to detect. We'll get a better idea of this next week at minicamp. From what I understand, um, it's, it's going to be fairly open uh, for the media. So presumably we're going to be able to start really seeing the 11 on 11 versions of this and, and, and who's really starting where um, at this point and nothing is etched in stone. It still is just OTAs and minicamp, but we don't know um, if he meant that. Yeah, I'm playing outside. And Oh, by the way, I am starting too. He never did say that. So for all we know, he's just playing outside cornerback and maybe um, he's being brought in and uh, in a reserve role behind Damon Arnett, which is a very important role uh, in and of itself. So I guess that could lead to maybe he just becomes a sub and Arnett stays the starter. Um, but we don't know. And I don't think we're going to know until or have a better idea until tomorrow. Um, but ideally, Evan, wouldn't for the Raiders, wouldn't the ideal situation be uh, you leave Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen on that track to be the established starters and long-range starters uh, and then figure out a way to get you know, um, uh, Casey Hayward on the field, whether it is in the slot or as a reserve, or is it just, hey, you know, this is a critical year. Just get the best guy out there, the best 11 players out there regardless. Well, I think, I think ideally, you know, the plan was, you draft these two young cornerbacks to be your cornerstones and, and your shutdown guys out there on this defense. Um, and I, as I said, you know, when you're using a 19th overall pick on a guy, I think your, your, your general thought is we're going to put him on the outside. But you know what, Benny? Plans change. Plans change. And uh, 
as I said, I, I give a little bit of credit to the organization. Maybe they stepped back and said, okay, you know what, maybe he needs a little bit more time to develop. We can still salvage him. Uh, he did play some slot corner in, in college and, and did well there. So let's, let's get the confidence level up. Let's maybe move him to the slot if that is the case. And, um, you know, let's see what he can do there. And in the meantime, you have Casey Hayward, who, who, who we know can, can do the, get the job done um, on the outside. And if Arnett should get ready or be ready at some point, he could, they could always move him to the outside. And, you know, really at the end of the day, Vinny, if Arnett, if he, if he does get moved to the slot, you know, if he stays healthy and he plays well and he helps the defense win games, I don't think the fan base are, are going to care where he's playing. Winning is going to be the biggest factor here. You know, winning is going to cure all. So it doesn't matter if it's Hayward on the outside or Arnott on the inside or vice versa. Uh, this team just needs to win. No question about it. And let's also remind everybody, if Damon Arnett moves to the slot and if he pulls that off and he is an asset to this team, slot cornerback is a critically important role on a defense now more than ever in what you're being asked to do, whether it's in pass coverage, defending every type of wide receiver that is going to line up there in the slot. And we all know that good offenses move their best players around. And a lot of times you're just going to be lined up uh, against the best wide receiver out of that slot, but also uh, in run support uh, as well. It's an important position. If he does pull that off, no harm, no foul. It's it's that's a great situation for the Raiders as well. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle. I kept you overtime. Uh, I appreciate that, and I owe you one uh, for that. Uh, take care of yourself. Um, have a great week, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you hopefully next week. Absolutely, anytime. Appreciate you, Vinny. Thank you very much. You got it, man. Uh, that is Evan Grote from Just Pod Baby. Uh, always enjoy uh, his insight and um, the light that he sheds on uh, the Raiders. Uh, it's always insightful. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. go right out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line and Mitch is in New Jersey wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing Mitch? Hey Vinny, how's it going with you? Good man, thank you very much. I'm here with uh, the quarterbacks in this division. I think uh, Derek Carr has got no problem getting 4,000 yards. I think he's got the I think the Raiders, I was going to say Oakland, I think the Las Vegas Raiders got the best set of running backs in this division and most of football. But uh, I think it's going to be an easy 4,000. Derek Carr is definitely, at the end of the year, going to finish in the top 10. And I'm having a hard time hearing you, Vinny. I, it's my fault. My fault only works when my, when my boss calls me. Then it's loud and clear. I don't understand these iPhones. I miss my Android. You have a good one. I hear you, Mitch. Uh, yeah, and thank you. Uh, I appreciate the call. Um, not outlandish whatsoever. He's had 4,000-yard throwing seasons. Derek Carr has the last uh, couple of years, last three years, I think, actually. Um, that's, a, that's a new team record. And I think that 
there is a balance to this Raiders offense, a potential balance to this Raiders Raiders offense. Um, I think the run game is a point of emphasis. Um, it wasn't as good last year as it was the year before. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think there's an intent to get that uh, back up and running. I think there was an intent to get younger and more physical along the offensive line. I think there was an intent to go out and find some more weapons uh, that are going to be able to be assets all over the field. Um, but let's face it, the Raiders struggled in the red zone scoring touchdowns. So don't think for a second uh, that that wasn't part of the plan. How do you get better in the areas that you were not as good in the year before? What do you need to do? Is it a personnel issue? Is it a, is it a scheme is, issue? Is it a package issue? Is it a talent issue? Well, guess what? It's probably all of the above. It's also a health issue. So if the Raiders stay healthy this year and their main players, especially that offensive line, can stay intact, I think that's going to help tremendously. But as we mentioned earlier, um, the Raiders still scored the 10th most points in the NFL in spite of an offensive line that struggled, in spite of a running game that struggled, uh, in spite of an offensive line that sometimes struggled in pass uh, uh, blocking and in, in run blocking. So uh, somehow, some way, Derek Carr and John Gruden and Darren Waller and uh, everybody else on that offense figured out a way to score the 10th most points in the NFL uh, in spite of uh, so, some health issues and health issues that led to uh, efficiency issues. Uh, if they can get healthy, I think the sky is the limit for this offense. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, guest line uh, and welcome in a, a special guest. Um, he, his name is John Hicks. He is the uh, the girls' flag football coach over at Las Vegas High School. He's also the Tom Flores High School Coach of the Year, as designated by the Las Vegas Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders and the Raiders um, have done a great job uh, being a part of this community, blending into this community here in their new home in Las Vegas, um, and and reaching out to from elementary schools to middle schools to high schools. Hey, how can we help you? What can we do? Um, how can we be a good neighbor? Um, I think it's something that the Raiders uh, put a lot of focus in and continue to, and I think that's only going to grow and grow and grow as years go on. Uh, and this is one example uh, of it. Uh, and they actually hosted a girls flag football uh, tournament uh, over at Allegiant Stadium uh, recently, and it went off beautifully. Uh, but Tom Hicks, um, excuse me, uh, John Hicks, the head coach over at Las Vegas High School. Uh, John, thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle. How are you doing? And congratulations on being named the Tom Flores High School Coach of the Year for 2020 by hey, the Raiders. Thanks so much, Benny. I'm, I'm just, man, I'm so excited and, and I'm so excited and, and thank you for the invitation. I can, uh, I'm just happy to spread the word about this sport. It's growing fast and uh, love the involvement with the Raiders and it's really helping grow the sport. All right, so uh, Coach Hicks, I moved to Las Vegas from Los Angeles um, last February, okay? Um, I don't, and I covered high school sports for a while in California, in Southern California, up until around the mid-2000s, I'd say. I don't remember girls' flag football being um, part of the curriculum and the sports landscape uh, in California but it sounds like it is here in Las Vegas, and it's, I've also been told there's now Division One scholarships available uh, to the great uh, high school girl players, uh, flag football players. But first of all, just a little bit of a history lesson. How long has girls' um, flag football been a part of uh, the sports landscape here in Nevada? So I think we're in the about the 
I want to say it was about the fifth year of being a sanctioned sport. I think it started back in uh, 2011 or 2012 because uh, I got here in Las Vegas in uh, the summer of 2014, and it had already been going for a couple of years uh, before that. But it started off as just, you know, they started as a pilot to make sure they grow the interest and make sure it's sustainable. And then, um, you know, it, it's full grown now. Now it, it hasn't reached the NIAA or the NCAA level for Division One, but still at the it's at the NAIA level uh, right now. But girls are uh, able to get scholarships. Well, and that's incredible, and we love it, and uh, it's it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, um, without question. Um, and, and based on your knowledge, you know, at that grassroots level when it first started, uh, you know, um, uh, being formulated and being put together, I'm curious to to, to know. Um, you know, uh, who was pushing for it? Um, were, were there girls on campuses that said, hey, we want to play football. We want to play flag football, and this can work, and this can be something that leads to, to special things. Or was it parents or coaches? Do you know, um, kind of like, or maybe it was all of, all of the above, uh, to, to get this thing up and running and now get it to the point where you guys are right now? I think there are a lot of different factors uh, from from what I understand and what I've learned, and and really it's it's an opportunity to get more and more girls involved with with sports. Uh, we know there's a ton of sports that are available for for any of our male athletes, um, and really from a very young age, and those opportunities uh, decrease. Uh, as you get a little bit older uh, for the, for the girls, and so uh, Clark County School District and the the uh, NIAA, which is you know the Nevada's governing body, they they did a great job of really pushing this and trying to increase the the participation from from girls and just giving them opportunities to compete. Yeah, and it looks like um, there's 36 high school teams uh, across the state of Nevada uh, that uh, offer. Uh, girls flag football as a as a sport that's second, believe it or not, behind uh, the state of Florida, um, and and that's something obviously to be proud of. And more and more girls are, are going out um, to uh, to uh, to play this sport. Um, but I'm curious uh, at your school and, and other schools around town. Um, is there a feeder program? Uh, is there are there are there youth programs now? Uh, for flag football, for uh, specifically for girls, or maybe they're 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 you know uh, participating alongside uh, the, uh, the boys. But is there a feeder program, or is it something where you have to be proactive when girls get on campus uh, to talk them um, into the possibility of playing for your team? So typically, it's been uh, up to this point. It's been a lot of just you know when you you go walk around campus and. For us, it's a fall sport, so it, it competes the same time as uh, as basketball and uh, and wrestling, bowling, and the other winter sports. So we have essentially the first half of our first semester where we get to watch soccer, volleyball, uh, cross country. We get to see these other sports compete, and we can kind of go and talk to those other coaches uh, and and really just recruit on campus. Uh, but there are a lot of middle schools now uh, who have been uh, 
putting together flag football teams. And now, from what I hear, that's going to be something that all middle schools are going to start working towards is uh, developing these uh, these feeder teams. And some schools have already been participating with those middle schools, just doing you know field day type events where they take their programs and they they will work with those kids uh, for a day. They just put on like a little camp. It gives those PE coaches a chance to uh, just sit back and kind of supervise. And we bring our athletes to those uh, feeder schools and just interact with them and get them excited about the sport. You know, uh, and, and we're talking to uh, Coach John Hicks uh, from over at Las Vegas High School. He coaches the girls' um, uh, flag football team uh, over at Las Vegas High School, and he is the recipient uh, designated by the Raiders as the Tom Flores High School Coach of the Year for 2020. It's quite the honor. Um, you know, going all the way back to when the Raiders were um, – you know, uh, in the process of moving uh, to Las Vegas from from Oakland, um, knowing the organization, knowing the people that work for the organization, um, it was a high, high, high priority. Obviously, we see what happens on the field, and that takes center stage. But it was a high priority within the organization to be good neighbors, to be part of the community, to uh, to, to reach out and build relationships uh, at all levels. We've talked about it, elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, with what um, they're doing with the, with the girls' flag football programs uh, out here. From your vantage point, um, how pleasing is that, uh, that, that here comes the Raiders, here comes the NFL to Las Vegas, uh, and, and they're not just isolating themselves uh, unto themselves. They really truly are, uh, you know, intent on being good neighbors here in Las Vegas. Well, that impact was felt immediately. Uh, they started reaching out. Uh, they put on some youth uh, coaching clinics uh, for some of the youth uh, tackle football organizations. And then they were constantly uh, working with our school district's uh, athletic office and just seeing what they could do uh, to help. And then anytime you have a world-class organization uh, just around anything they get involved with that's going to bring more media attention and that's just going to raise more awareness and that's exactly what we're trying to do is get more people excited about flag football and really help these girls understand that you know they uh they have all these same opportunities to to earn a chance to to get uh a lot of their school paid for just for doing something that they would do for free just because they love playing sports John, uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and uh, I, I still, to this day, when I walk into Staples Center, Allegiant Stadium, uh, SoFi Stadium now, um, the Boston Guard, wherever, wherever, whatever arena, stadium you're talking about, it still takes me a second or two to kind of take it all in and 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 be thankful, you know, for, for being a part of this. Um, and so I asked that because last Saturday, uh, you know, there was an all-star game uh, among some of the better um, high school uh, girls flag football players here in the state of, of Nevada and Las Vegas. Uh, and, and the Raiders hosted that all-star game at Allegiant Stadium. I'm just curious what the reaction was, the, the initial reaction, because I don't care who you are. You could be a big star. You could be, um, you know, the third stringer, whatever the case might be. When you walk into a building as beautiful as Allegiant Stadium, um, it's it's there's there's a little bit of a taking of the breath away to start off with. Uh, how did, did that happen? You know, with, with the players, and how quickly were they able to uh, settle down and and get back to just reality of, of playing a football game? Well, unfortunately, we haven't been able to actually be inside of Allegiant oh. Stadium yet. They uh, the Raiders. We were at uh, 
uh, Pinecrest Academy, which is Got right it. down the street from the Raiders uh, training uh, facility. Yep. And so, uh, but they they brought equipment for us. It was like they put on a, a it was like a combine. It was exactly what you see at the NFL combine. They had those same that same equipment out there. They had all the guys dressed in black out there, Raiders logos everywhere. And so as soon as you walked in, you knew you were at a, a first-class event with the world-class organization. And then, I mean, the uniforms are spectacular. And there's so much excitement anyway. I mean, these girls lost a lot with us not being able to have a season this year. Um, and so we were able to uh, just give them something special uh, with the help of the Raiders. And it is hard to focus on that. Um, the heat also made it really hard to focus. Yes. That's something we just deal with out here in Las Vegas. Yeah, no question about that. I'm, I'm learning that uh, uh, every single day. Uh, but but, yeah. but uh, ab- absolutely uh, love it. Uh, last question for you, uh, Coach. Um, where What's the vision for, for uh, girls' high school flag football? Um, where do you want to see it maybe in, in, in five years from now? I would love to see this. Uh, so first here on the smaller scale here in Nevada, uh, the middle schools just up and running, have them going full bore and really being a true feeder system into uh, the high schools because I think that's only going to increase the game because the their knowledge, uh, their football IQ is going to be so high coming into high school and it's just going to keep getting better, making them more competitive, competitive uh, nationally for those scholarships. And then ultimately the goal is to, to have this become a, a Division One uh, college sport where where people can see that these girls can see their hard work and dedication, all the sweat, blood, tears that they put into this game, uh, have all that hard work uh, pay off. And, and not to mention that every coach that, that we talk to, we stress the student part of student athlete first. So including those 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 late nights after practice, staying up doing their homework and have that pay off with a full-ride Division One scholarship to go play in some of these big schools uh, for national championships. Well, we are right there uh, with you. Um, I really appreciate you spending some time with us in the huddle. Congratulations again uh, on, on being named the Tom Flores High School Coach of the Year for 2020 by the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, truly appreciate their time, and good luck uh, moving forward. I think it's a great thing, uh, and I can't wait to see the progress uh, over these next few years. Really appreciate the time, Coach Hicks. Thanks so much, Vinny. You got it. That's Coach John Hicks from Las Vegas High School. Uh, He coaches the girls' high school um, flag football team uh, here in uh, Las Vegas. There's 36 teams across uh, Nevada that play, uh, that offer uh, high school girls' uh, flag football. Uh, That's second in the country behind only Florida. It's growing, it's prospering, um, and we're, I know I'm here uh, to support it. I've got a daughter. I want every avenue uh, open to her that that she wants to pursue, and uh, it's high time uh, that we create uh, a more level playing field uh, for everybody. Uh, and I know the Raiders continue to do their part. It was a high priority, as I mentioned to Coach Hicks, when the Raiders were plotting uh, and planning their move here to Las Vegas. They weren't just going to sweep into town uh, and assume their their place uh, high atop um, the state of Nevada and Las Vegas. They didn't want it to do it that way. Um, they could have easily rested on their laurels. They're the Raiders. This is the NFL. Uh, but their biggest priority 
aside from winning championships, was to be a good neighbor, was to be a part of this community, uh, not just for now, but for ever. And uh, they're well on their way to uh, to establishing that, that uh, themselves in that regard. And I think that kind of gets lost in the translation uh, sometimes. Anytime you want to anytime you move into a, a new market, whether you're moving your family or moving an organization or moving a business, you want to not just feel welcome, but be welcoming uh, with your new neighbors. And that's exactly what the Raiders are doing. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What is good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by uh, Tequila Embajador. I uh, hope you're doing well. It was a great day uh, out at the Raiders facility in Henderson uh, today. Uh, getting after it. A lot of work uh, that was being done, at least a portion of practice, um, a little bit of a red zone uh, review, and um Talking to Foster Moreau, uh, thanks again for, for Foster joining us uh, at the 4.30 hour. Uh, if you weren't um, able to listen live, don't forget to check out uh, the podcast. Uh, we'll post it uh, shortly after the show uh, I'm tonight. I'm good, Vinny. I already posted it. Boom. There you go. Uh, all right. I like that. Um, so go check that out. Um, it's already available. Um, and, and Foster you know, shed some light on what we were watching out at practice today, and a lot of 23 personnel, and that is two tight ends or three tight ends, two running backs. There wasn't a wide receiver to be found <laughs> in 23 personnel. And um, it was really interesting uh, watching all the various ways I lost track on how many players got the ball handed to them or thrown to them. And whether you're talking about fullback Alec Ingold, um, Kenyon Drake was was uh, in that portion um, in that in that period. Uh, all three tight ends: Derek Carrier, uh, uh, Darren Waller, obviously Foster Moreau. Uh, everybody caught a pass. Everybody caught a touchdown pass. Uh, there were a lot of different things that the Raiders were doing, and so it it, it shows, sheds a little bit of light uh, on the focus that they're putting into um, in improving in an area of the field that red zone uh, that you know, was was problematic last year. They didn't score enough touchdowns. That's just the long and short of it. And as Foster Moreau said, uh, everybody loves the kicker, uh, but you want to use the kicker as little as possible, i.e. after you score touchdowns and uh, and not settle for field goals. That's just kind of the way it is. And if they can improve uh, the 54% um, ratio that they scored touchdowns when they were in the red zone, it's going to go a long way into making this just a more efficient, better football team, period. Obviously, they have to do uh, make a lot of improvements defensively. Uh, that is on the other side of the football. But when you're thinking about the offense, uh, got to protect better in, in uh, pass blocking, got to run block better, got to run the ball better, be more efficient in, in all those areas. Uh, and you certainly have to be able to score more touchdowns when you're in the red zone. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know, um, and, you know, we get asked a lot uh, about this uh, in terms of, uh, you know, 
places that that serve uh, embajador tequila and uh, just wanted to remind you guys friday night every friday night over at michael t's um uh, steakhouse uh aloha friday nights uh, from 9 p.m to 3 a.m you got hawaiian music you got karaoke you've got embajador tequila great food michael t's in las vegas 9 p.m to 3 a.m every single friday night aloha fridays we're gonna go out to the raider nation listener line joe is in los angeles wants to talk about the vaccine how you doing joe i'm good thanks for taking my call so usually in the press there's not really much you know, to write about, especially, you know, during off-season. But one of the the greatest questions that was asked, I think, was your question with regards to the pandemic and getting vaccinated. Um, as someone like myself who had the virus and not knowing whether or not I was going to live, excuse me because I get real emotional about this, but to see the players still being hesitant to take that vaccine is is boggling because we what we saw during the 2020 season with regards to this virus is it went it put down a lot of players. Now I do understand that these are world class athletes. It may not affect them as much as the average person, but when you consider that potentially you're you have the virus within you and potentially spreading it to somebody else, somebody else they not be might not be as healthy as you are and potentially giving them the virus that leads to death, why wouldn't you take every opportunity not only to protect yourself but others? Now, at the very least, I think that this is a competitive edge that you have over the rest of any other team. Once you get vaccinated, this virus is not gone. You know, we see a lot of numbers going down, thank God, because a lot of people got vaccinated, but this virus is not gone. And as much as we've learned so much since last March, there's still a lot to be learned from this virus. To this day, I still have symptoms six months later. And what I like to tell people is that, you know, I wouldn't want this on my worst enemy. I was in the hospital gasping for air, not knowing if I was going to survive. And I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody, not people that I don't like. Not, I mean, even your worst enemy, I wouldn't want that to happen. And so when I hear Solomon Thomas while we're questioning the science of it, I mean, to me, that just boggles my mind. I know it's a personal choice, but I really think this is an opportunity for the NFL to really be stringent in the fact that if you want, based on a business standpoint, if you want this to succeed successfully, you have to implement these vaccine protocols. I mean, we saw what happened to the players last year, and I just want to get your take on that. I appreciate uh, the call, Joe, and, and uh, you know, uh, all good thoughts out to you. I'm glad, um, obviously, you're on the other side uh, of, of that horrible virus, and it is a horrible virus. Um, there's still a lot of unknowns and long-range uh, implications. Uh, just glad that you're out of the woods, uh, and, and never, he- never hesitate uh, to give us a call. You know that. Um, to clear up one thing, Solomon Thomas, uh, when we were talking to him, he wasn't questioning uh, the science behind it. Um, he was, what he was saying was they, they're, they're educating and they're talking and they're communicating uh, and explaining uh, the science behind it. You know, here's the thing. Not everybody, um, you know, and, and let's also face it, we're dealing with 21, 22, 23-year-old uh, uh, kids, basically, and they are kids in a lot of ways. I'm 25 um, and I haven't gotten it. What's that? I said I'm 25 and I haven't gotten it. 
Well, um, uh, that's our producer, Devon uh, Cotton. Um, but, you know, not everybody is going to take the time, especially at that age sometimes, to do the research, to be on top of it. There's other things that are that have their attention. And sometimes, and, and as Solomon Thomas was explaining, some of those veteran players that have done the research, passing that information along uh, to their teammates uh, in a way that explains to them the importance of this for themselves individually, collectively um it's kind of mind-boggling you heard what uh the 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 player from the washington football club uh was it uh sweat um it's just you listen to some people talk and you're like what's going through your mind like like it doesn't make any sense uh but it's for those people that may be the victims of misinformation of general disregard of just not taking the time to understand it a little bit better like i can't believe you're that old and not understand what a vaccine does. It prevents you from getting the uh, <laughs> the disease or the virus. It doesn't, it doesn't make you better once you get it. Like, how do you not know that? You've gone to college. You've lived your life up to this point. How do you know not know what a vaccine vaccine is all about? What the what uh, what that even means? But anyway, it sounds like um, the Raiders have done a really good job of educating each other, educating the players and the coaching staff. It sounds like there's really strong numbers uh, with the Raiders in terms of the vaccinations and their, their entire coaching staff has been vaccinated. So they're on the right track. Uh, the best we could do is try to educate people on why this is important. Uh, there's a reason why there's a vaccination for polio and smallpox and all that. When you're a little baby, you get the vaccination so that you don't deal with it as later on in life because it's painful and you don't pass it along to other people as well. That's the point that I think a guy like Sweat wasn't understanding. It's not just about you. If you get it, if you do get it, and I'm talking about COVID-19, you can you might be able to survive, but you might pass it along to somebody who's not in a better, not a position to survive. So there's a lot of reasons why you should get the vaccine. I'm not trying to be political. It's just common sense. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. I just want to say thank you to uh, Foster Moreau. Uh, great interview. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us in the huddle. Thanks to Devon Cotton, uh, our producer. Uh, really appreciate everything uh, that, that you're doing. Uh, thanks to the callers. Thanks to the listeners. We really appreciate it. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. And by the way, I'm going to be uh, spending a little bit of time in the afternoon with JT the Brick on his show uh, from the facility uh, as well. I don't know exactly what time yet, but uh, I'll let everybody know. I always enjoy spending some time uh, with JT the Brick, one of the best in the business. We'll talk to you tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.